I'd like to take a moment and have a real heart-to-heart with you. If you're able right now, place your hand over your heart. Can you feel it? That's your heartbeat telling you that you're alive. It's the same for a preborn baby. Their heart begins to form at conception, and at just three weeks, it's already beating. At five weeks, a baby's heartbeat can be heard on ultrasound. And that's why we've partnered with Preborn, because we need to help these precious babies. Every day, Preborn's networks of clinics rescue 200 babies from abortion. When a mother with an unplanned pregnancy meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine encounter. That doubles a baby's chances at life. And by six weeks, the eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to suck his or her own thumb. And for just $28, you could be the difference between life or death of a child. All gifts are tax deductible, and I want you to donate. All you have to do is just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby. You can also donate securely at preborn.com slash verdict. That's preborn.com slash verdict or pound 250 and say the keyword baby. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million dollars. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Welcome. It is Verdict with Senator Ted Cruz. Ben Ferguson with you. Senator, the House has adjourned uh, until Friday after an 11th fail vote to come up with a speaker. Deals are being made, they're saying, or trying to get done behind the scenes. And then there's some people that are deciding to call people in their own party terrorists. Representative Dan Crenshaw said this. Get another scalp and another scalp, whether it's whether it's Boehner or Paul Ryan or then McCarthy. Scalise would just be next and we all know it. We just can't allow that to happen. That's why those of us are saying, like, look, you pushed us into this corner. So now we're now we're saying we won't vote for anyone but McCarthy. That's why we're saying it, because we cannot let the terrorists win. That, that's basically what's happening. Since you and I talked last time, Senator, I didn't think any of this could actually happen. I didn't think we'd get to vote 11. Here we are. We're going into Friday. Uh, It could be into the weekend. There are people now claiming that this is an embarrassment. I'm still not there yet. I'd love to know what you think. I think this is just part of the great process. Yeah, look, my, my view is settle down. This will work out and it'll be fine. That that kind of overheated rhetoric calling people terrorists it, it is not terribly conducive to, to anything resembling Republican unity. It's, it's not conducive to having strong leadership for the next two years in the House, um, engaging in, in vitriol and, and personal attacks. Uh, listen, I think a lot of the caterwauling we're hearing is from the media. And it's from the Democrats. And, and to be honest, the media and the Democrats are one and the same. And they have an agenda. Their agenda is to say the Republicans are a failure, the Republicans are terrible, the Republicans are a disaster. That's what they're going to say no matter what. No matter what is happening, that's going to be their talking points. And so 
all of the screaming of the media, I, I think, is is overwrought. Uh, this is the democratic process. And and it is true that we haven't had a contested speaker race like this uh, in 100 years. But it's also part of the way the process operates. Uh, we've had at this point 11 different votes. And it's just it's run a couple of days. Uh, the votes, there's been some movement. So for the first round. All the Democrats voted together. First round, Hakeem Jeffries, who's the, who's the new Democrat leader, got 212 votes. It takes 218 to be speaker. Hakeem Jeffries is not going to be speaker. It's going to be a Republican speaker. Kevin McCarthy got 203. And there were a collection of people. Ten, ten Republicans voted for Andy Biggs from Arizona, six for Jim Jordan, one for Jim Banks from Indiana, one for former Representative Lee Zeldin. And one for Byron Donald. So there were initially 19. That was the first round. The second round, the numbers didn't change, but they shifted who they voted for. In the second round, again, McCarthy got 203. But the second round, Jim Jordan got all 19 of the defectors. And so the votes for Biggs, the votes for Banks, Zeldins, uh, Byron Donalds, all of them went behind Jim Jordan. He got 19. How about the third round? Well, the third round... McCarthy lost a vote. McCarthy dropped to 202, and Jim Jordan got 20 votes. And, and the vote that shifted uh, was Byron Donalds, who had committed to McCarthy that he would vote for him for two rounds, but not the third. And, and what he publicly said is he shifted his vote because he thought, he thought Kevin was not going to get to 218. I don't know if that's right or not. Uh, the fourth round, it continues, but, th but then... Uh, we had, as just a little bit more of a complication, we had one more uh, Republican, Victoria Sparts, uh, who voted present. So McCarthy lost a vote. He went down from, from 202 to 201. And in the fourth round also, Byron Donalds is, is who the dissenters voted for. So Donalds got 20. So Jim Jordan had gotten 20 votes. Then Byron Donalds got 20 votes. And then you had the fifth round. The numbers are the same. Sixth round, the numbers are the same. Seventh round, the numbers are the same except for one tweak, which is that Matt Gates voted for Donald Trump. Uh, wait, the wait, eighth was, round, wait, can we just pause there for a second and talk about... Sure. That was a funny moment. And I say this because Donald Trump had been tweeting out on his our, our true socially on his platform... I'm supporting Kevin McCarthy. Let's move on. Let's make him the guy. And then Matt Gates, who it was one and the same with Donald Trump through his, basically the entire time he's in the White House, nominates him. And he's saying, no, no, like that's I don't want this job. Obviously, I'm telling you to go Kevin McCarthy. That was one. If you just want to sit back and pop some popcorn and eat it. That was one of those moments for me. Like, wait, what is happening right now? Well, and to be fair, that's the same thing that happened with Jim Jordan. You know, Jim Jordan was nominated. The first time Jim Jordan was nominated was immediately after he had nominated Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> yeah. And, it just... and, and, and so he's likewise said that he doesn't want the job, but they're nominating and voting for him anyway. Um, look, the Speaker of the House does not have to be a member of the House. So theoretically, Donald Trump could be Speaker of the House. Now, that's not going to happen. Don't hold your breath. There was one vote cast for that, and that was... You're not going to see 218 votes cast for Trump uh, as speaker. It's, it's going to be a House member. Um, 
what played out in the in the eighth and ninth rounds. Uh, we had Kevin Hearn from Oklahoma who who got three votes initially and then got seven votes and then on the eleventh round got seven votes. And so where we are right now is McCarthy is at two hundred, so he's eighteen votes short. The last round of balloting, Akeem Jeffries had 212. He's had it the whole time, so all the Democrats are just voting for him. McCarthy's down to 200. Byron Donalds uh, got 12. Kevin Hearn from Oklahoma got seven. Former President Trump, the last round, again got one vote, and then and then there, there was a present vote. So that's where the votes are now. You know, my reaction to all the histrionics is, is this is going to shake out, and, and it's going to shake out one of two ways one and and this this may well be the most likely outcome which is they negotiate uh an agreement where mccarthy has been making concessions uh to the dissenters making concessions based on rules making concessions based on how the house operates making concessions making it easier for members to offer amendments easier for amendment for members to fight for conservative principles um, it may be that 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 McCarthy makes enough concessions that he gets the votes he needs. He, he needs to pick up uh, 18 more votes. But if he does that, then we could have an agreement. And, and I will say, so probably the ringleader of the dissenters has been Chip Roy uh, from Texas. Who, by the way, if you if you're teaching a master class on on speaker votes and bringing people together or at least making people understand where you're coming from. Chip Roy, I think has played this perfectly. And I mean that sincerely in the fact that he, uh, he let people understand why he was not voting for McCarthy. And he also explained very clearly what it would take for him to vote for Kevin McCarthy and the rules changes that he wanted. I think there are so many Americans that go, okay, this is a guy I understand. I respect him. And if you're teaching a master class, if there's anything to learn from this, don't keep moving the goalposts when you're objecting to someone. And if it's as simple as I just don't like him, then stick with that. But don't keep changing it. I think he has done the best job of, uh, of articulating some of the concerns and the things that he wanted to change, I would give him an A-plus in class. Well, look, there's no doubt Chip has been effective and he's been articulate, and, and he's been focused on substance. I, I mean, part of, you know, what, what makes this complicated is you've got 20 players, and, and the 20 folks uh, who, have, who have been the dissenters, many of them are operating from for different reasons. Chip, at least has not focused his opposition on a personal animosity to Kevin McCarthy. He hasn't been uh, focused on demonizing or attacking him personally. Rather, he's been focused on the rules. He's been focused on the procedures. He's been focused on how the, the House operates. One very significant uh, concession that, that, that McCarthy made um, on Wednesday night is is that Kevin made a, a public commitment that going forward he would not engage in Republican primaries. Um, there were a number of primaries this past cycle where Kevin McCarthy's PAC uh, 
supported the much more moderate Republican and attacked the more conservative Republican, even in bright red seats where whoever wins was going to be the, the, the nominee. And, and quite a few of the House conservatives were unhappy that Kevin was raising significant amounts of money and spending it that money against conservatives in primaries. Well, McCarthy made a public commitment, and interestingly enough, he made a commitment in the Club for Growth, which often fights against, at least in past cycles, McCarthy in these primaries, um, in turn expressed their willingness to support McCarthy if he would stay out of primaries. That's a big deal, that commitment. Um, when, when you say that's a big deal, explain scenarios where this could have changed outcome of House races because I don't think people understand how much the money can really decide who's going to win these things in primaries. M- money plays a massive role in, in a lot of elections. It doesn't necessarily decide them. Uh, but th- there were multiple elections across the country where where McCarthy's PAC got involved in the primary, not in the general, not trying to support the Republican against the Democrat. Now, they did that. To be clear, Kevin's PAC spent hundreds of millions of dollars supporting Republicans in the general. So I I don't want to diminish. He worked very hard trying to elect Republicans across the country. But there are a number of House conservatives who who were angry that he was he was playing in primaries. And by the way, that's reprising a battle that happened in the Senate over a decade ago. You know, if you, if you remember back to the 2010 cycle, yeah, where Senate leadership engaged in a bunch of primaries. And so, for example, uh, Senate leadership uh, came in the primary against Rand Paul in Kentucky. They came in the primary against Mike Lee in Utah. They came in the primary against Pat Toomey in Pennsylvania. They came in the primary against Marco Rubio in Florida. And, and Senate leadership just screwed it up. I mean, I mean, all four of those, they got clobbered and they got a black eye. Um, and I will say, actually, as a bit of interesting trivia, I may have been a beneficiary because 2010 Senate leadership got such a black eye for making the wrong call in race after race after race and losing that in 2012, which is that with the year I got elected to the Senate, Senate leadership stayed out of primaries and and. <laughs> Look, I got to say, in hindsight, that that uh, that probably is a good thing for me because they would not have been supporting me in that primary. No, no way at all. They would have uh, they would have definitely been <laughs> supporting your opponent, who is the safe Republican establishment candidate that you were clearly up against, and he had tons of funding funding as well. Well, and he had his he had a every lobbyist in the state of Texas was with him because he was sitting lieutenant governor, and b he was worth over two hundred million dollars, so he wrote a thirty five million dollar check. The, the point was Senate Republican leadership kind of stepped in it uh, in 2010 and has been much more wary of getting in primary since then. This last cycle, McCarthy was pretty vocal engaging in primaries, and, and I think that's one of the concerns that is animating uh, these dissenters. I'd like to take a moment and have a real heart-to-heart with you. If you're able right now, place your hand over your heart. Can you feel it? That's your heartbeat telling you that you're alive. It's the same for a preborn baby. Their heart begins to form at conception, and at just three weeks, it's already beating. At five weeks, a baby's heartbeat can be heard on ultrasound. And that's why we've partnered with Preborn, because we need to help these precious babies. 
Every day, Preborn's networks of clinics rescue 200 babies from abortion. When a mother with an unplanned pregnancy meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine encounter. That doubles a baby's chances at life. And by six weeks, the eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to suck his or her own thumb. And for just $28, you could be the difference between life or death of a child. All gifts are tax deductible, and I want you to donate. All you have to do is just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby. You can also donate securely at preborn.com slash verdict. That's preborn.com slash verdict or pound 250 and say the keyword baby. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think I'm covered. No worries. Well, not so fast. Remember, your out-of-pocket costs are not covered by insurance. That can be a lot of money for your family. But how do you know you're not being overbilled? It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claim for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors so you pay only what you owe you can even have health lock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills to date health lock has helped its members save over 130 million dollars bottom line insurance alone isn't enough to save visit healthlock.com do it today before you see another health care provider that's healthlock.com Let me ask you this. One of the things you look at these 20 and I think it's clear that some of the 20, it's just personal. And and I I know there has to be moments in your career center where there's certain people in the Senate on your side that you just don't click with. You just don't like maybe they they flat out lied to your face. Maybe they've lied to you about something they were going to work with you on or support or a bill but you do have to remind yourself, I'm, this isn't me personally. I'm here to represent the interests of the people of the state or the community, right, where you are from. If you're a congressman, for example, how, much, uh, how many blunders could be happening here because people are making this too much about them personally and not enough about maybe their constituents? Look, emotions matter, and, and, and people have personal sentiments and hurt feelings, and and I certainly don't know what what uh, what went on behind closed doors, but um, what makes this comp- complicated to to reach a negotiated settlement is each of these twenty are are operating on their own. So if if for example, if Chip Roy had the authority to commit for all twenty of them, if they all essentially gave the, gave him their proxy and said. If you cut a deal, we'll stick with you. I, I think the odds are pretty good that, that, that Chip and McCarthy could reach a deal because I, I do think Chip has done a good job of focusing on procedural issues to, to expand debate, expand the ability to offer amendments, expand leverage conservatives would have in the House, 
and and I think they could probably get to the same page. What may make it impossible is I I don't know how many of these players are just emotional and have hurt feelings. I don't know for how many of them it's personal with Kevin or not. Look, you, you know when you've got when you've got folks using rhetoric like calling them terrorists, you know, if you call someone a terrorist, that's not terribly conducive to getting them to come along and play nice. Yeah, I mean, that goes back to what I was saying earlier about if you're teaching a master class here, the do's and don'ts are it, it, don't go and, and make it even more personal and think, oh, well, that's going to get the 20 to really come around. When that type of rhetoric's being used while you desperately need their votes to give yourself and, and, and some of your guys are going out there as surrogates uh, and saying things like that, that's not going to help you get the 20 to come over. It's not like that's going to get them to see the light of day. That's going to make them, I would assume, just by human nature, dig in. I, you know, I, as a general matter, relying on insults to try to bludgeon your opposition is, is – uh, it, it's a perilous path unless you have all the leverage. And at this point, with, with just a four-vote majority, I'm not sure anyone has all the leverage. Uh, that is a very perilous path. And, and so I think we will either see some negotiated settlement that involves procedural concessions from McCarthy – or at some point, if, if the votes don't move and the votes don't move and the votes don't move, presumably there will be some other candidate who becomes a consensus candidate. Now, I don't think that would happen unless McCarthy decided, OK, the votes aren't here for me, because Kevin would certainly have the votes to stop anybody else. So so it would take it would take Kevin making the decision. This isn't going to happen. And I think. I have not spoken – I haven't spoken to any of the players, actually, during this. So I haven't, I, I haven't spoken to Kevin during this. I haven't spoken to Chip. I haven't spoken to any of the folks there. So I'm, I'm watching it on TV. I'm watching it on Twitter like everybody else. And I know most of the players quite well. I mean, the, these members of Congress, all, almost all of them are close friends of mine. So, I mean, I, I know, know who they are as people. Um, and, and, you know, these folks are principled – and they believe in what they're trying to do. Um, but you'll either see a negotiated settlement. I don't know what the terms are, if there are there there is one. Or presumably at some point, someone else becomes a consensus candidate. And I don't know who that would be. Um, and I suspect an enormous amount of that would depend on, on Kevin McCarthy and the decision making he made. Let's talk about another aspect of this, and that is the media, obviously. They're trying to grab on and find headlines to fear-monger people. Uh, earlier today, they had a big, long discussion, I think it was on CNN, where they were saying, well, this could become a national security issue uh, because they can't get briefings, and there's people that aren't even elected that are going to get better briefings than the people uh, that haven't been sworn in yet with this new Congress uh, on the House side, and, and this is going to be an issue. I mean, they're, they're trying to give us a doomsday scenario here. How long can this go and everything really is just fine? Oh, look, I, I think the national security argument is, is just gobbledygook. Um, this is going to get resolved, and I think it'll get resolved fairly quickly. It could get resolved today. It could get resolved in a few days. 
Uh, I imagine there are scenarios where it could take a couple of weeks. I, I, I don't envision any world where it takes longer than that. Um, and I don't even think it'll take a couple of weeks. I, I think it it's going to end up one way or the other. Um, this is going to be resolved. So, so the idea that it is this horrible affront to the republic for the House to spend a couple of days debating their leadership, that's just a weird idea. Um, as, as, as we talked about in the last podcast, there's a reason I led the fight in the Senate for us to have several weeks of debate on Senate leadership. And, and we had that debate, at least the beginnings of the debate, which we haven't had in a long time. Um, now, because the Senate doesn't have a procedure like this where, where the leader is elected on the floor, it wasn't done on C-SPAN. Yeah. And it wasn't done in, in a context that, that holds up the House for a period of time. It was, it was done behind clo- closed door with the Senate. But I think in both houses, having a debate about what leadership is going to do, how they're going to approach it, what their priorities are, what fights they're willing to fight. Look, the question that I asked Mitch McConnell repeatedly, what are you willing to fight for? Give me one thing, anything. And tragically, it appeared the only thing that that so far Republican leadership was willing to fight for was the disaster of a $1.7 trillion omnibus bill, the Pelosi-Schumer spending bill. So the, the, the reason for the frustration that I think a lot of voters have uh, is, is evident. But, but my overarching message also is, is, you know, folks need to relax a little bit. This will get resolved. We're going to have a House majority. We're going to have a Republican speaker. We're going to have Republican chairman in the committees. We're going to have oversight hearings. We're going to have subpoenas. We're going to have legislation moving forward. All of that is going to happen. And at the end of the day, the cosmos is not dramatically different. If it happens in a week or two days ago. Yeah. Well, um, and, and I laugh because Democrats, it was like they were throwing jello at the wall on TV and the commentators because Jeffries came out. The first one they, they basically tried early in the day on Thursday, Senator, was, oh, this could become a national security issue. By mid-afternoon, they had switched from that and, and, and Representative and, and by Jeffries. The way, on national security, look, we've got a Senate. In the Senate, we all have uh, have our security clearances and the ability to be read, read into things. And, you know, we also have when it really comes to national security, what you know, you've got a president and a secretary of state, and a secretary of defense and a chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Now, you and I aren't very happy with the job they're doing when you actually talk about national security. I think the people in the Biden administration are affirmatively harmful for that. But the, the idea that it, it, it would somehow impact national security to have. A few days debate over leadership is 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 a weird argument. Well, and I laugh because they went from that early in the day and then it was like, all right, well, we need something else to throw out there. And then Representative Jeffries comes out and he says this Uh, national security vulnerabilities. This is a dangerous moment for Americans and for the world. It's one of the reasons why the Congress needs to organize. There are public health vulnerabilities. It's one of the reasons why. The Congress needs to organize and Republicans need to get their act together. So they they threw that on there. It became, well, now it's also it's not just national security. Now it's public health. 
I'm laughing because the Senate's in recess right now. If if they had picked the speaker, wouldn't most of these people be home by now? They, they'd all be home. Right. Like, so, every so one of them would have gone Nothing would have changed, right? I, I, actually, they're in D.C. now. The irony is that the, the, the reason the House is there uh, is because of this. If they'd picked the speaker, they would they would have gone home. Um, and... Look, I, I don't fault Hakeem Jeffries for doing what he's doing. That's what you do. Look, if you're the opposing party and the other side is, is having an internal food fight, you, you stand there and laugh and you eat popcorn and, and you know, you, you throw rocks from the cheap seats. So, of course, that's what he's doing. Um, and to be clear, if, if the shoe were on the other foot, We'd if be- the Democrats were having, if it was AOC challenging uh, Nancy Pelosi, you and I'd be sitting there going, man, they can't get their act together, and we would be doing exactly <laughs> what, what, what Jeffries is doing. So I, I don't fault him for that. I'll tell you what I do fault, though, it, is there are some who are engaged in nasty rhetoric on the Republican side, but also on the Democrat side. Corey well, Bush. Th- I, that's, that's what I was going to say to you was it, you just said the laughing and, the, and you'd sit back. How hard is it not to screw this moment up if you're a Democrat? You, 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 make, you, you, you laugh at some of this. You say some of this. But it, the, if there's anything that the Democratic Party should have figured out was just kind of sit back, take a moment and let and don't steal a headline away by doing something stupid. Insert Cory Bush and where you're going with this right now. One of the r- biggest racist blunders that never had to even get close to where they took it. And all of a sudden the story changes. And I'm sure people on the Democrat side are like, really, you had to do this right now? Well, look, Cory Bush is is one of the most radical members of the Democrat Party of the House. Uh, she is on the extreme left. She's one of the biggest advocates of abolishing the police. Uh, ironically, she spends massive amounts on private security while arguing for abolishing the police. So it's it's rules for thee and not for me. And and unfortunately, she's been willing to, to really engage in in racist rhetoric. So she sent a tweet. Uh, that reads, for what it's worth, Byron Donalds is not an historic candidate for speaker. He is a prop. Despite being black, he supports a policy agenda intent on upholding and perpetuating white supremacy. His name being in the mix is not progress. It's pathetic. And, and, and I got to say, that is that is nasty. That is racist. By the way, it echoes uh, what what Dick Durbin said in the Senate when Tim Scott, the Republican from South Carolina, African-American, was standing up and trying to lead legislation on on police and 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 both uh, preventing preventing violence to 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 those who who are being arrested but also protecting police at the same time and and durbin uh ridiculed tim scott as a token um and it's the same leftists have i I retweeted cory bush and what i said is i said open racism is normalized on the radical left now the dems are calling byron donalds who's a black man who's a who's a conservative who's strong articulate they're calling him effectively a white supremacist that's just nuts that's but 
look, whether it's Cory Bush or Dick Durbin, when they see a black Republican, there is a level of of anger, of animus, of, of bile. It's why they come out with things like token and prop. Um, it's the same thing Clarence Thomas faces be, because that they view them. And, and, and by the way, I'll say this as, as an Hispanic. There is some of that. It's not nearly as nasty being an Hispanic Republican as it, as it is how the left treats black Republicans. But, uh, but you know, I, I had Jorge Ramos on, on national television called me a traitor to my race because I believe in securing the border. I mean, it's there's a nastiness, and, and unfortunately, when you have someone, you know, when Byron Donalds was, was nominated, um, and actually Chip Roy was nominating him, he pointed out, Akeem Jeffries had been nominated, he said this is the first time in the history of our country that two, two black, black people, African Americans, have been nominated to be Speaker of the House, and, I, and there was significant applause in the house at that i mean that is meaningful and positive but it drives the democrats crazy they they cannot acknowledge to the leftists byron donalds is not black clarence thomas is not black tim scott is not black i'm not hispanic marco rubio is not hispanic you must be a leftist to count in 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 their in their bean counting world how is it that not a single member of the media gets this tweet and immediately goes and demands a comment from the Democratic leadership? Because it is racist. It's very clearly racist. And they act like it doesn't even happen. I mean, even and I would say uh, the Washington, D.C. Capitol Hill press corps is a little bit more formal than maybe some of the other press members outside in the world where there's a little bit more uh, dignity in their group. Uh, and, and yet they just completely look the other direction when a member of Congress says something this racist in this moment about an African-American man who is who, who's been nominated in a historic way in a moment that has 100 plus years of history involved in it. Well, look, part of it is the media agrees with those same radical senses. Um, you remember back when when. Larry Elder was running for governor of, of California, and the Los Angeles Times published an op-ed, the title of which was, Larry Elder is the black face of white supremacy. I mean, this is nasty, and they do it over and over and over again. It, it, it is, particularly the hard left, they... they they not only revel in racism, they know they won't get called out on it from the press because the press agrees with them, or too many of them do at least. Yeah, it's it, it's total silence on this one, and it's one of those moments when you see the Democrats and it reminds you uh, of what you're up against across the aisle, and they allow this to fester within the Democratic Party. Anytime a minority stands up, that is a conservative, they immediately lose their race and their minority status, and they do whatever they can to absolutely destroy them. Senator, uh, it's, this has been a, a, a fun uh, moment, uh, as I said earlier, a master class-esque on all of this. There's a lot of history involved. I know people uh, wanted to hear what you thought about this, and I think the big takeaway from you is this is okay, this is going to play out, and things are going to end well for us. And don't take the bait from the media implying this is a national security risk or a health crisis risk. 
This is totally fine. Look, my message is simple. Keep calm and carry on. This is debate. This is democracy. It will play out. It will resolve itself. I think it will resolve itself in a matter of days or at most weeks. And I don't know how it will resolve it. I I have genuinely no idea what the resolution will be, but I do think the process of elected members debating amongst themselves, uh, their agenda, their rules, their policies, how they're going to conduct themselves, I think that debate is a healthy thing in either House of Congress. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun to watch. Grab some more popcorn, my friends. Uh, We will be back with you on Monday. There may be a chance if we get a speaker before then, you might get something else from us. So make sure you hit that subscribe button, auto download button, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Make sure you write us a five-star review center. It's a pleasure as always, and we'll see all you guys back here on Monday. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.